Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining us today, 60-year-old triathlete and Ironman living with type 1 diabetes who, after completing a 2,800-mile run across America last year to raise awareness for diabetes, is about to perform a new feat, a 10K swim around Key West on June 18th. Here to tell us more about everything I just said. We are sitting down today with Don Muchow. Don, how's it going? Not bad. It's uh, getting warm here in Dallas and uh, getting ready for it to get warmer down in Key West. start with the swim. It's happening on June 18th, um, 10 K around Key West. What, what made that the specifics of this swim? Why 10 K why in Key West? Um, the Key West piece I'll, I'll address first. Um, when I finished the, um, the run that I did across the U S, um, I was standing on the, uh, East coast, with my feet in the water, staring out into the ocean. And somebody said, well, surely you're not going to swim across that. And I, (laughs) and I said, yeah, I don't think so. Um, And I was thinking about a friend of mine who had completed the full 12 and a half mile swim around uh, the Island of Key West. And um, I had in mind a goal to do that at some point. Um, And I had uh, trained throughout the, the summer to do the full, the full 12 and a half. And at the last minute, we pulled back to the 10K um, because my training times were literally minutes from catching the reversing tide. Um, so sometimes you have to be practical, pull your goals back just a little bit. But uh, I'd say I'm about 90% trained for at least barely completing the full swim around the island. But um, as we had talked about in the green room a few moments ago, I'm a creature of caution. So we're going to do the 10K this year and the 12 and a half mile next year. It's interesting you bring up the tides, right? Because as, as swimmers, that's not something we would, we would ever think about uh, because open water is obviously just a very different beast. So um, tell, tell me a little bit more about that. You know, You have to plan for those tides coming in and out. Uh, and what, what are the times that you need to hold or, or what is the pace that you have to, you know, be continuously going to miss those tides or to hit those tides at the right time? Um, to answer your last question first, um, I need to be able to average about a two and a half minute hundred, um, over 12 and a half miles in order to beat the tides. There's, um, a little bit of wiggle room. Um, basically there are three checkpoints around the island that are tide-based. Tides tend to change one direction or another about every four hours or so. Um, And so the first big checkpoint is on the northwest side of the island at a Fleming, the cut under Fleming Key Bridge. And um, it's a slow change, but if, if you don't make that first five miles within two and a half hours, the tides start to slowly push you back out and it gets difficult to make the remaining four or five miles to the next checkpoint. Um, the final checkpoint, I think I said there were three, I can't remember where the, where the, the second one is, but 
Um, the, the last checkpoint basically is coming under the bridge at Kalki on the east side of the island. Um, and you need to make it there um, within eight hours of the, the beginning of the race um, because it will, it will push you so hard you won't be able to finish. You mentioned um, open water swimming and, and not having to think too much about tides. Um, my own experience has been that um, the things that are most annoying uh, with ocean swimming as opposed to just going out in a lake or doing an Ironman um, is that nature does not forgive the slow people <laughs> and I'm the slow people. Um, so um, if it's a choppy day or you've got rollers or the tides are against you, um, you need to build in a a buffer of, of toughness or speed that you can summon to get past that. Um, otherwise it does not go that well. Um, I swam fast enough to complete an Ironman. And to be honest, this, the swim uh, limits on that are fairly generous. One thing I've been learning as I've moved from running, which I knew well to swimming, which I've learned mostly, um, I, obviously, I could I could swim when I did the Ironman, but I've had to learn how to swim faster and how to beat target times and, and that that sort of thing, which has made it a much more serious pursuit. And uh, I'm learning just now that there are things I can squeeze out of my technique, um, out of my sighting, and so forth, to speed up a bit. Um, fundamentally, in the back of my mind is always the question: While well, I'm approaching 61 now. How much faster am I going to get, or is age going to catch up and make me slower? So one of the reasons I want to make sure that I do the Key West swim um, is that I can do it while I while I have um, the physical capability to do it. I'm not an elite swimmer. I'm an ordinary Joe who dreams of doing big things, and I have to deal with that. So we also mentioned that you have to deal with type one diabetes. Yes. You did this 2,800 mile run <laughs> to raise awareness for diabetes. Um, fair to say that this swim is for the same pursuit, but just, you know, give us a little more in depth, um, answer of the why, you know, why this swim, um, what do you hope to gain out of it? Well, um, part of what I hope to gain is to explore what is possible with type one. Um, one of the special challenges, uh, and I blogged about it in an article on, on my blog called The No Wake Zone, um, is that people like me are concerned about um, low blood sugars, which can happen overnight after exercise uh, or after any kind of exertion, um, stressful situation, stress gets removed, you stop running or, or swimming or what have you, and um, your blood sugar drops. and um, that's something we all fear. Um, there's something called dead in bed syndrome that happens to a handful of type ones every year um, who for various reasons, either didn't anticipate or um, just bad timing, but uh, they died in their sleep. So for me, uh, part of the challenge is to find out what folks with type one can do, um, but to do it safely. Um, one of the reasons we pulled back to the 10 K was because, um, I, on my last 12 and a half mile swim at the local lake here, um, I put on a big push to, um, finish in what would have been adequate time for Key West. Uh, 
only to notice that the extra effort to exercise made my blood sugar drop uh, precipitously. And I, I came out of the water sort of skating with a, a low-ish blood sugar. And um, these are things I have to plan for. Now, one thing that has helped a lot, um, one of my uh, technology partners is Dexcom and I use their sensor, uh, it's called the G6. And um, it will advise me what my blood sugar is. Um, I actually get those numbers on my Garmin watch through a, a widget that Garmin provides for Dexcom. And I can see what my blood sugar is when I'm swimming, but I still have to deal with whatever it's doing. And sometimes what that means is doing things like tucking maple syrup gels under the legs of my jammers uh, so that I don't get caught 150 meters from shore uh, with no way to treat a low blood sugar. So, I, you know, you, you, you learn little things along the way. And part of the, uh, part of the goal for me is to find out what is possible for someone with type one to do safely in the water um, that has a certain degree of epic to it, because I know, I'm aware that there are people who um, who follow me who want to know, well, what did you learn? Um, we're all kind of cheating off each other's papers. And um, part of my goal is to pay it forward. Anything I learn about um, what's special about type one and doing certain kinds of physical activity that require extra attention, because frankly, there's not a large body of knowledge out there right now. Yeah, I, I have a friend, a, a close friend who has type one diabetes and um, just talking about it with him, I, I didn't realize that it was such a constant thing, right? Um, I mean, and I'm sure, especially for an athlete, but it's something that you don't just, you know, take a pill for or eat a specific thing every X amount of hours or every X amount of days. It's, it's something that you always have to be conscious of. Um, which uh, sounds uh, like a lot. It sounds exhausting, frankly, to me, um, just being a normal person. Right. But for you yeah. on top of that, for you being, um, a fairly extreme athlete, you know, triathlete, Ironmans, um, and these long runs and swims, it just adds another layer to it. So I'm curious now, now we get, you know, into your background and your history, were you an athlete prior to learning? that you had type, you're discovering you had type one diabetes or were you just a, a normal everyday person? And then you, after diabetes that changed things for you. Um, I was diagnosed at the uh, age of, I believe it was 11 in 1972. Um, and of, of course, you know, I was a very curious, playful kid and that made things challenging because I didn't truly really comprehend what was going on um, with my body and my parents sort of took on that role of watching out for me, but going outside and playing, of course, when glucose meters would not be invented for another eight years, um, meant that they either had to be super careful to notice what was going on or, um, I had to live a fairly rigid um, regimented life. And really the only practical option for folks like me at the time was to live a, a rigid regimented life. Um, and I actually had uh, my doctor at the time basically said, you know, um, 
only way we can test your blood sugar is if you come into the hospital and we, we get out our glucose meters um, because it was, it was hospital type technology back then. Uh, so we would recommend that you, you actually don't exercise. You know, you're, you're a young kid, you know, you, you get your future ahead of you. Who knows what, who's, who knows what 10 years will ring, but don't do stuff that's going to mess up your blood sugar. And of course I stopped <coughs> and uh, fast forward the clock. Um, another 30 years or so, I think it was 32 years that I had gone basically avoiding exercise. And I had an epiphany uh, one day, I had I'd been walking up the stairs and uh, I had to stop and catch my breath. And I thought, man, you know, how did I get here? Um, and uh, that year, it was 2004, um, uh, weighing in just shy of 220 pounds, and being physically inactive for the last three decades, um, I decided, you know what, I need to do something different. And I started exercising in a very, you know, baby steps, bite-sized kind of way. And I had already signed up for my first 5K when um, I had an appointment with my retina specialist who uh, diagnosed me with proliferative retinopathy. Uh, by the way, that... that um, tune you're hearing there is my uh, tandem insulin pump, the uh, little number on the top there. I just had lunch a little while ago. Um, so I think it's this 205. Um, the uh, Dexcom is working that down for me, telling the pump to dose a little bit, but you might hear that tone off and on again. Um, but anyway, um, I'd already signed up for a 5k and I got this diagnosis of proliferative retinopathy. And the treatment at the time for it was to basically fire a laser um, into my eye and cauterize um, some leaking blood vessels, which left me with a blind spot. And I said, okay, well, you know, thanks. I appreciate that. I can't see out of that spot anymore. You know, what's going on? He said, well, you'll never be able to see out of that spot. We burned the retina behind it. And I was like, I thought this was supposed to prevent me from going blind. And he's like, not if you keep getting these treatments. And uh, at that point, I made a decision that I wasn't going to turn back. Um, I had to be physically active. Now, keep in mind, I told you earlier that many of us are scared of that because low blood sugars in the middle of the night um, can be a very risky business. But I thought, you know what? The risks of um, blindness and circulatory problems are at this point equally rate, equally uh, equal to the, um, the risks of low blood sugars in the middle of the night. I I've got to pick my evil. And I decided, you know what? it's probably better to be active. So I wasn't physically active until 2004. Um, I mostly uh, did runs and marathons and so forth. And some friends of mine who are also type one uh, got me involved in triathlons in 2013. And of course I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> so part of the thing with Key West for me is finding my biggest demon, the thing I knew the least and trying to get good at it. Um, that tends to be the way I think I focus on my weaknesses and try to make those areas where I'm a bit stronger. Um, it, perhaps it would have been easier for me if I had been an elite swimmer or one of these people that comes in at a you know, minute or so per hundred yards, but that's not me. Um, I want to do things that are hard for ordinary Joes and figure out how to do them safely for type one ordinary Joes.
So uh, why? <laughs> so my mom runs ultra marathons. Um, and Good I, for her, we, by the way. <laughs> Good for her. I agree. Um, we actually, her and I ran both of our first marathon together. Uh, we trained for it and I had just finished uh, swimming in high school at the time. And so I was like, okay, I've always liked running. Let's do it. And um, <laughs> we, we both did a marathon and at the end of it, she was like, I want to, you know, I want to go further. I love this. This is great. And I finished and I was like, I'm good. I never need to run that far again in my life. Uh, you know, I finished it. I'm proud. I, I met my time goal that I had had for myself, but like, I'm good. Um, so I'm curious, you had never worked out before, or, you know, three decades of, of stagnant, uh, normal life behavior. And then you start running, right. You sign up for a 5k. How describe to me the bug you catch to, to go from 5k to marathons, to, to triathlons, to Ironman? Um, I probably got the first taste of the bug. Um, after I finished the 5k, uh, it took me about an hour and, um, I knew that was not a good time, but when I got done with it, I had the feeling that I had done something for myself that amazed me. Um, and I knew it was healthy and I felt like I felt a sense of victory at having done the hard thing that people always dread, dread going to do. Um, I ran marathons for the next several years after doing my first half in 2009. And, um, I could see myself getting a little faster, getting a little smarter. And I went through all the challenges that people go through with, you know, getting black toenails and that fall off and uh, all those other things. But I noticed I wasn't really getting any faster and I got the ultra bug and I'm trying to remember, I think 2013 was the, the year that I started doing triathlons and ultras. And uh, there was a, the Cowtown Marathon, which is in Fort Worth, had a 50K race. And um, I decided to sign up for it because it was only five, five miles or so longer than a marathon. And I figured, okay, well, you know, I can run 26, I can run another five. And when I got to five miles from the, uh, the ultra finish, there was a, probably about a mile and a half from the marathon finish. There was this turnoff where about 300 of us went and continued running for another five miles and everyone else peeled off for their, their victory lap or whatever you want to call it. And there was something about the fact that it was a smaller group of people. We all know, we all knew that we were doing something more than a marathon and even though it wasn't that much more than a marathon, it felt special. The vibe was different. Um, the flat Coke and chocolate covered pretzels at the uh, turnaround um, sort of made me feel like I was somebody special. Um, so I started to sort of pivot to doing things that were longer distances where I knew as long as I had time and they didn't stop the clock on me, I could keep going. I, um, 2017 was a big year for me. I, um, I had been doing some ultras and some quadruple marathons just to kind of uh, 
wet my wet my whistle for for larger things and um i believe it was 2016 uh, no no 2017 I, I did my uh 2016 i did my my uh second quad and actually came in third because there's so few people signed up for all four of them um and most of the people sort of took it thought of it as a walk in the park and I felt competitive about it. And I was running with a friend of mine. Um, to clarify quad yeah. marathon, meaning four marathons in four days. Yeah. Four in four days. Okay. So you have a full night to sleep, to get a massage, eat plenty of protein, whatever. And uh, I sort of amazed myself and I thought, okay, well, I, if I can do this, wonder what I can do. And I signed up for a um, hundred mile race, which was well beyond what I thought I could do. Um, I trained like crazy for it. And um, I think I finished second from last. Um, I watched people drop off behind me. It's a steady stream of DNFs, uh, did, did not finishes. And, um, but I thought, you know what? I, whether I'm the last guy or not, I'm doing this. And there was a point in the summer of 2017 where I thought, holy crap, I've done, I've done quadruple marathons. I've done hundred mile races. Maybe, maybe I have more that I'm capable of. And um, after a lot of thinking, um, I signed up to do Ironman Texas. Um, I'd actually DNF'd on a couple of half irons because of things I did not know. And um, such as, um, that you need to take fix a flat. <laughs> and uh, if you're going to commit to putting gator skins, um, you better be ready, ready to blow them full of slime because there's no way you're going to get those things on and off in time to finish the bike portion. If you blow, a, if you blow a tire, um, that's the trade-off you make. And um, I stayed with the gator skins. Um, I put some fix a flat in my bike uh, bag and I never blew another tire. So, um, when, when I did Ironman Texas, um, to me at that point, the swim was not the scariest part. I was definitely not a super great swimmer, but, um, I felt confident in self-rescue and so forth, but, uh, doing the finishing the bike without blowing a tire was always what was in the back of my mind. Now, um, you want to talk about swim related stuff that kind of puts a bit of a swallow in your throat. Um, uh, the previous year I had, uh, done an off-brand 140.6 and the, um, it was on a large lake and it was either Wisconsin or Minnesota. It was a Hitswaconia 140.6. So what, what do you mean what, an off-brand? Like it wasn't sponsored by the Ironman brand? Um, yeah, it wasn't an iron, an official Ironman. It was, a Every so often, somebody has a, a 140.6 out there. Um, I'm not repping for Ironman, but I will say that their support for the events is second to none. Okay. And uh, this one, they had a couple of boats out in the water doing the best they could to monitor situations and make sure no one got in danger. But the, um, the weather was not cooperating that day. And um, for a lake, we had... Uh, uh, two foot chop or uh, thereabouts, uh, definitely more than a foot and a half. And um, when I got out there, 
um, I got about 400 meters in and aspirated water um, pretty thoroughly twice. And there was a, a rescue vessel maybe 15, 20 yards away from me. And I signaled for pickup because I thought there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm making two and a half miles in the, these conditions. And they sped off because another guy was already face down in the water um, and not moving. And so I thought, you know, the smart thing to do here is to turn around and self-rescue. Yes, it's 400 meters, but it's 400 meters only. It's going to be 500 if I don't turn around. Um, so I got real careful about rough water after that. And for me, I didn't return to that until this past summer when I was training for Key West and the, the uh, swim around the island. And I thought, you know, we could have choppy water. It's the ocean, you know, wind blows all the time. And um, I went down to Miami and trained in uh, yellow flag conditions. Uh, and of course, you know, this is on my own terms, uh, just off the shore, um, kayaker with me, a safety buoy trailing along behind me. And it wasn't bad. And that was when I learned that there's a difference between lakes and two foot chop and two foot swells and periodicity in the waves. And uh, to be honest, I prefer the ocean at this point um, because the waves are predictable for the most part. So you learn things, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, especially racing the kind of races and mileage <laughs> that it sounds like you're putting on your body. Um, I, I mean, I know talking to my mom, you learn things every single race, right? And you, you, you yeah. kind of get that experience under your belt more and more. And so, um, I would think, I want to ask you about the, this 2,800 mile run that you did last yeah. year, um, specifically to raise awareness, um, for type one diabetes. Can you just tell me a little bit about that experience, what you learned from that and the impact on the diabetic community you feel like you were able to have from that? Um, yeah, first of all, in terms of what I learned from it and then talking a bit about the impact. Um, when I first started doing things like quads and 100 milers, the challenge was primarily physical. Um, even with 100 milers, um, it was no worse than pulling an all-nighter in college. Um, you know, your all-nighter was running, but it was just an all-nighter. Um, it was psychologically harder when I did my first 200 mile run and when I did, um, so for the U S run, I practiced on Iowa first and then on Texas, um, Iowa's, uh, 340 miles across. And, uh, there was actually a relay race that I did as their first solo runner, um, back in 2018 and, uh, really for, um, 100 milers and 200 milers and 300 milers. It's mostly a psychological toll, um, but physical up to, I'd say about 150 miles. But then after that, it, it starts to be this game of, oh, we're going too slow. Let's skip the next sleep stop. Or I don't have time to eat. You know, just give me some Oreos and, and, and let, let me keep running. Um, and you play this math game with yourself that you can sacrifice things that are actually necessary in order to finish on time. Um, running across Iowa, we hit four thunderstorms that took about 
16 hours off our estimated uh, finish time. And of course we had to make those back up. Um, I had originally budgeted um, about 45 miles a day, I think. And we had to jack it up to 55 miles a day because we'd lost, you know, entire half days due to hailstorms and things. Um, that part of the country really is, the house they used uh, to film Twister is, is, is on the route. So um, it was a, the, the relay was Relay Iowa, and it, it basically runs right across the state from Sioux City to Dubuque. When uh, I got to running Texas and then the U.S., um, it kind of went beyond um, what I would call simple tests of endurance or mental toughness to being more uh, emotionally and spiritually taxing. Um, your mind starts doubting whether you did a smart thing, um, whether you can keep doing it. And then um, we took rest days every 10 days on both of those. Um, on Texas, it was involuntary. I didn't, I didn't realize I needed to be taking rest days, but um, I was not in good condition after 10 days and had to, had to take a pause. And then we had a weather pause the next uh, 10 days. But um, you learn that it's emotionally taxing and to a certain extent, spiritually taxing as well. So um, I guess going back to the question about what did I learn that I could share uh, that I felt the impact was with the type one community. Um, I was really pleased on the US run that um, we had followed the advice of a seven year old friend of mine who heard I was running from coast to coast and managed to conceive of that only as Disneyland to Disney World. And uh, when we shared that story with the media- Was, um, was that the route, Disneyland to Disney World? <laughs> yeah, we, we stuck on a bit on the front and the back of it so that I got wet feet in both oceans. But the plan was from the moment he shared that idea with me to run from Disneyland to Disney World. Um, we did some research and found out that no one had ever done that before. Um, <clears throat> so we were pretty sure that it was a first. Now, there's a lot of side story I could go into about COVID and having to pause for my dad's funeral. But um, what I learned was that you get your three minutes of attention from national news media and you need to get your story straight and what it is that you wanna share. And one of the things I learned very quickly was that I had to focus the narrative on what was possible. Not what the challenges were I was facing, but the fact that they were overcomable with patience and diligence and a little bit of technical help from some of the diabetes gear that I had. And um, that was probably the, the biggest lesson to me was that, you know, we're all in this learning together. Um, it's all a fairly tightly knit community with people living with type one, but sharing that story with people who aren't living with it, who don't understand why it's so challenging to, to do um, a long swim or an Ironman or a hundred miler or run across the country with type one, um, that it's a little bit harder. Um, it's something you have to do with one hand tied behind your back, testing your blood sugar. And, um, but it's still possible. And I feel like that was the biggest side benefit of it 
was that it stopped being my story and it started being a story about what people were capable of, even when they sort of had their, their hands tied behind their back. So I, I love this narrative. Um, I'm really excited to follow you through this swim in Key West. It's happening in just a few days. We're down to about two minutes, but um, Don, thank you for joining us. Do you have any parting thoughts for our audience before we sign off today? Um, yeah, if you're, if you're living with type one, um, don't start by assuming there are things you can't do. Um, there are lots of people out there who can share info, who can help, um, who can share their lessons with you. I learned most of what I know about type one and swimming from a type one friend who had previously done the Key West swim. In fact, if I finish the full next year, I will be the fourth person with type one, not the first. So there are people out there you can learn from. Um, set your sights high, be careful, be planful. And if you're someone uh, not living with the disease, understand that um, this is an autoimmune disorder that none of us asked for. It still needs a cure. Um, it's made better by insulin and by um, things like the Dexcom and the, the pump that I have, tandem pump, but it's not a cure. Um, and until we have a cure, um, we need some understanding about what people like us uh, are facing and um, maybe some advocacy on behalf of getting the word out there that um, the challenges are real. Um, things like job discrimination are still present based on health conditions. And yet we managed to exceed expectations. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.